Hey everybody, welcome back to the Table Church Podcast. We apologize for how long it's been since we've last um, done one of these. Let us introduce ourselves. Yeah, if in case you've forgotten, I'm Pastor Phil and this is Pastor Megan. Um, but we have we have pretty good reasons as to why. Not that anybody was probably really concerned. <laughs> you probably all carried on with your lives. I'm sure you all were just fine without us. Um, but we had some good reasons, uh, not the least of which being that Megan got COVID. Yeah. And um, <laughs> as you can tell from her voice, it's, it, I mean, it's not COVID anymore, but the the effects of COVID are still with her. Yes. So the long COVID is with me. She's got long COVID, um, which is really a bummer. So pray for <laughs> Megan. Um, it, how you doing? I mean, I was only sick with like actual COVID for a couple of days where I felt really junky for lots of reasons. And then after that, that was gone. But um, really primarily it affected my airways. Mm-hmm. So like otherwise I was actually pretty fine, but like I couldn't breathe. And since I couldn't breathe, that makes you feel junky. Yeah. That's general. a big deal. And then, um, yeah, the after effects are just like for, I don't know, like three weeks now mm-hmm. I haven't been able to speak. And yeah. so this is huge that, that you're doing this. This is progress. Yes. You're I, supposed to <laughs> preach this week in church, no, but we're not doing that. <laughs> I'm going to preach. It was a real bummer because I'd been away for a couple of weeks for a different reason. And then I got COVID right at the end of that. So then it's been a while since I've just been doing normal things. Mm-hmm. Well, welcome back to the world. I really do love my life and I can't wait to get back to it. I did feel you know, there's a lot of power in not being alone. Last week, I heard uh, Sarah Isker on the Dispatch. Mm-hmm. Um, she was on a different podcast because she hasn't been on the Dispatch mm. um, for a few weeks because she also has COVID, and it uh-huh. sounds like the exact same kind that I got. You should tweet so, at her, be like, "Hey, I, I feel you." I know. So I just felt like that little moment of like, I am not alone. You mm-hmm. know, because her voice is so terrible that she's still putting herself on other people's podcasts, but the dispatch wouldn't let her be <laughs> on theirs. We're not that highfalutin. I here. thought that was brilliant. So anyway, yeah. I was like, I have some kinship with another person going through the same thing. Boy, it's like you don't realize, um, particularly in this line of work, how much your voice matters. You got to be yeah. able to talk. I have to be able to protect this instrument mm-hmm. from further damage. <laughs> I have been told by my doctor to take strict vocal rest. Oops. So um, I'm just like choosing the times so I much. talk very carefully. Okay. Yeah. So, so like I haven't spoken yet today out loud. Mm-hmm. Um, I've typed everything I needed to say. Like in another meeting, I just typed. Yeah. <laughs> and then after this, I'm not going to talk to anybody. Okay. Well. So. Hey, take it easy. If you just need to type it, if you just need to hold up a note card to me, text you. Text me. I can read it. I can just read it. I can probably type faster than I can think anyway. (laughs) So anyway. um, Yeah, I hope you get (laughs) all the way better. Otherwise, everyone who's wondering what in the world happened to me, if you're like in my everyday life, you might be wondering what happened to me. If you only follow me on Instagram, you wouldn't know because I'm still posting like pictures of my cat Mm -hmm. and stuff. Like your paint. Yeah. Your house. Yeah. You, you know why I was busy. doing all those things? Because I was too sick mm-hmm. to speak or do anything else. So, yeah. Well, your house looks great. <laughs> so, if anything, help something good things. came out of it. I had I had help with those things. I did not do all that. Beauty myself. from ashes. Yes. So, <laughs> anyway, if you also have long COVID, um, 
you guys should make you. a club. I I mean, there's so many different ways that it can affect you long term. A support me, group. Yeah, for me, it's just my airways. But I can't imagine people who like can't smell, right, or taste. Like mm-hmm. that really affects your life. You know, like yeah. I haven't had any of those symptoms. Do you do you like get out of breath going up the steps and mm-hmm. stuff? Like I walked into the doctor's office yesterday, and as I was like sitting down, I was like, I feel like I just did three flights of stairs. Uh, like just getting somewhere it's all because you have to train yourself to breathe differently once mm-hmm. i'm like figuring out how to breathe differently mm-hmm. it's not as bad okay it's when i'm not thinking about it like lily and i walked into target yesterday and i was like oh my goodness <laughs> and I, it's because when you stop thinking about how you're breathing you breathe like you used to and then it's a problem okay so i just have to do well, it differently yeah keep working on that breathing it's just gonna make me You'll get there Harder, stronger, better, faster. <laughs> I'm just going to be better. That's right. At the end of this. That's right. And hey, I'm glad you're va- vaccinated because I don't, yeah, I I don't got, know where you would have been I otherwise. Got three shots. And mm. I got to tell you, there was the two days that I was really sick. I was pretty sick because I couldn't breathe, which is just scary, you mm-hmm. know? So like it makes everything else seem scarier and worse. You feel terrible. But I remember laying there and being like, oh my goodness, I'm so glad. I mean, you could construe it one of two ways, I guess. Like, either you could say, see, <laughs> vaccines don't work. Or you could say, boy, you might have died if you hadn't had vaccines. I know. I didn't I have to know. go to the hospital. I yeah. didn't have to go to the hospital. It's all good. All right. Well. Um, COVID. It's a thing. It's real. <laughs> it's real. This is the but most boring thing we could have been talking about COVID. for the last five minutes. What are we going to talk about? Let's talk about COVID. But I bet everybody listening. It's been more than five minutes. Yeah. I did feel like at the end of like two years, I was like, oh my word. Like I've never gotten sick. Even my whole family got got COVID during the Omicron rush after Christmas. Yeah. And I took care of all of them and never got sick. And I was like, maybe I just, I'm not going to get this. And then I got real COVID. My family all got COVID light. They got pretend COVID. I got real COVID. (laughs) The real COVID. Oh, well, aren't you lucky? (laughs) Or or something. So um, anyone who watches the news in the realm of evangelical Christianity and stuff knows that the world continues to implode upon itself. (laughs) There continues to be a weekly meltdown of some leader or ministry. and I'm convinced that we're people aren't getting worse. We're just getting better at shining a light on it. Yeah, nothing's getting worse. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Megan and I were talking yesterday, like, just processing it all, because it's very discouraging, you know, obviously very discouraging, not just discouraging, but, like, it's awful, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there was the, the Hillsong documentary that Disney, or not Disney, Discovery, Discovery. Channel just released, which I haven't watched. I watched it. And I will say, if you haven't watched it yet, if I would say you can completely scrap the first episode. The first episode doesn't know what it's for. And it's basically hovering over the button of gotcha journalism. And it's just, it's not all their fault. It's because when people outside the church look at the church, mm-hmm. it's like a really confusing mess. And it's really easy to get the story um, flat. Yeah. You know, a flat story. Flat. It's very confusing, all that. You can skip the first episode. You don't need to watch that. The last two episodes are much better because they just deal in the realm of like personal experiences and facts. Mm-hmm. And so also I would say it's good 
in so far as like it's a it's a way to look more deeply at what's going on because it is Hillsong has always wanted a lot of influence and they have it. And so right. I think it's important to not just shove it under the rug. Like it's good to take a look at it from different points of view. And this is a different point of view than you might get mm-hmm. from mm-hmm. other Christians. Well, but anyway, I mean, yeah. it's not like I was a huge Brian Houston or Hillsong yeah. fanboy. I didn't, I'm not sure if I've ever listened. I maybe have listened to one Brian Houston sermon in my life. I don't know. But yeah, I mean, never. The, but the music, I think the like, music obviously was influential for the me. Music is, um, has like I, I have spent hundreds of hours of my life being right. deeply nourished and encouraged by Hillsong lyrics. Right. So, but I mean, all that to say, like the last two episodes are useful and so far it gives you kind of a full picture of like kind of what's happened in the past present and looking at the future um which i think is important if you want to be informed from a different point of view from what like a christian outlet is going to give you but um also i just like over all of that i think that was good it's just that there was a little bit of a lean throughout the entire thing as if like they're trying almost this gotcha journalism of like, look, this church's mission is to like just get worldwide. And that was the most important thing to them. And I'm like, you're talking as if you are like exposing these people for like this motivation that they had to be worldwide as a presence. As though it was a secret. And it's like explicit in every clip practically that they have from Brian Houston. They wanted or, to be worldwide. Like that was the goal. Like they yeah. never hid that. That wasn't a, that wasn't a hidden factor. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, there was some very gross things that happened, right? At Hillsong. Yes, very but, gross. But that particular thing, like, the, which the on the one hand, you, you could either construe as imperialism or you could construe yeah. as evangelistic fervor. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, if it's just you don't a understand of, it, you mm-hmm. don't understand it. And it's okay. Like, I don't expect the world to understand that. But I was like, it just feels like poor storytelling to lean into that when the other parts of the story are so relevant. Just to... Well, everybody. So I haven't watched it. I don't know if I will. But honestly, the you bigger don't need th- to watch it. I didn't learn anything new. They the don't expose anything new. Um, they just put the pieces together all in one place. And I think the bigger thing for me yeah. has been my uh, my my guy Bruxy Cavey. He's a lot of them. You haven't probably heard of him, but he was the pastor of the Meeting House Church in Toronto. Um, somebody I've followed and been learned uh, learned a lot from over the years. Um, had a unfortunate uh well unfortunate revelation about his behavior and Mm -hmm. the way that he abused his power and his position and stuff like that anyway we don't need to dwell on that stuff so much as just to simply acknowledge it and acknowledge how sad we are Mm -hmm. i am right now about things um and i mean we could sit here and i don't know talk all day about how bad things are and the abuses that leaders seem to do all the time um but I hope that something changes. I hope that we start getting the message. I don't know if it's simply that people are not capable of having that sort of tremendous leadership platform, right? Like it mm-hmm. just doesn't work for human beings or something. I don't know. But I mean, Jesus didn't bury the lead. He said it'd be like really hard for somebody with <laughs> a lot of, a lot of flashy stuff yeah. to stay in the pocket. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so anyway, not directly. I'm not sure what the point of this segment is. It's just to simply well, say, you're all I'm bummed. thinking about all of it. And I'm I bummed. watched that documentary because someone in my life watched it. And I felt like I needed to like know what I was talking about when mm-hmm. I, you know, um, you're all probably thinking about those things off and on. And I would say Phil and I have experienced the deepest cut 
<laughs> thus far. Yeah. Like in all of these like scandals, this one was actually like real. The Bruxy one? Yeah, yeah. the oh, Bruxy one. He, I've referred to him as my pastor idol before, yeah. which I did it tongue in cheek, of course, but here I am. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> maybe I shouldn't call anything an idol, even if I'm joking, uh-huh. because then that's going to happen to you. But I mean, it's so sad. It's so sad. One, so. There's a couple things <clears throat> that like to say moving forward. First of all, Phil and I aren't going to get on these soapboxes and we're not going to invite you to our TED Talks about this. But, like, seriously, there's so much in the ether about critiquing evangelical culture. And what I'm furiously excited for is for truly, like, you know, good, faithful people to create healthy culture and to focus, you know, like there's always that like line where people say talking about these things at all is divisive. Like why bring that up when there's so many good things? Mm-hmm. It's because the things aren't really as good as God wants them to be. If these things exist, you know, coexist with these horrible things. Like right. God is never satisfied until everything's good. So if not everything is good, we sh- we need to talk about what's not good. Mm-hmm. And and it's the power of God to expose these things like light exposes darkness. And so we should rejoice when these things are exposed, you know, even if it's It's good, whether it's by Christians doing it, shining light on themselves or it's non-Christians shining light on the church. Like that happens all the time in in Mm -hmm. the Bible, right? Like God uses people to judge his people sometimes from within, sometimes from without. Usually if people won't judge themselves properly and take the thousands of warnings that they get. God's like, okay, okay, I'll let somebody else do the work. And that's what's happening right now among like white evangelicals in particular, it seems. And it's uncomfortable for folks like us in that kind of world. I, I think all the time, like, okay, do I just drop the label evangelical? Which by the way, I don't think I, I don't know. I am one because I grew up in it and I have a high view of like the Bible and I, I believe in like life transformation and conversion. Mm-hmm. And those are some of the standard definitions you hear about an evangelical, but I'm like, I'm pretty sure most Christians would agree with that. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know. I don't know in what sense specifically the, the word has gotten convoluted and the meaning has gotten so kind of dissolved and um, stretched and stuff like that. I'm not entirely sure when I say I'm an evangelical, what I'm even saying, I don't want to drop the label entirely or leave it because I feel like it would be too convenient for me mm-hmm. to do that right now as the world is imploding around me in this sphere to just say, oh, yeah, well, I'm, I'm not one of those. Like happy medium. You don't have to go out like screaming about how you're an evangelical, mm-hmm. but you also don't have to say I'm not an evangelical. Yeah, I mean, Who there's cares? there's like a responsibility, I think, for somebody like me who's profited, not profited, I don't know, <laughs> I've profited, but Let's put an asterisk I've been by nourished, profit. I've been nourished by this, <laughs> by this world to just leave it when things start hitting the fan because it would be convenient and better for my reputation. I, I don't think that's a good enough motivation. Like if mm-hmm. I, if I fundamentally disagree with the, the tenets of classical evangelicalism, then sure. But I can't honestly say that I that I really do, mm-hmm. and so here I am. Yeah. But I I, I, I weep for it, like, and yeah. obviously there's things that we need to figure out. There's things something's broken, and um, yeah, that culture making process needs to begin. Yeah. Alongside this shining the light in the and darkness and this exposing stuff. Of, one of the things that I find it's not exactly troublesome, 
But it does make me want to raise my hand from the back of the class as a person with a slightly different point of view is that um, it's so often people will tell stories about faith leaders who led them to, you know, do one thing or another um, related to like different parts of their lives that were sinful, you know, like with the Hillsong documentary. There's people who've experienced real, significant, horrible, shameful experiences with the leadership of Hillsong leaders who have like, you know, led them, um, you know, with like specific strategies for how to handle sexual purity and things like that. Um, and then to find out later, oh, like, you know, Carl Lentz has right. this huge history. Mm-hmm. However, there's got to be two things like to look at there. First of all, for instance, there's this really compelling story in that documentary about this woman and her experience um, in like 2006 with Carl Lentz. I believe it was 2006, 2010, something like that. Um, it's horrible. I mean, it matters so much. It's It sheds so much light. It, it sheds light on so many important things about purity culture, all of that stuff in evangelicalism. Um, however, for the documentary to kind of use that story and then for her to say how hurtful it is for her to see how he's living his life in 2020, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, um, you want to raise your hand from the back of the class and say, her story is so relevant and I don't want to bury the reasons why it's so relevant by using it as a way to kind of like shed light on how horrible Carl Lentz is because that mm-hmm. was 2006 and this is 2020 and Carl Lentz may have had extremely good motivations mm-hmm. for that imperfect way that that happened, right? Like it's damaging. We should be talking about how that's damaging, but he's probably a victim of that bad theology too, mm-hmm. you know? And in 2006, Maybe he was legit, like, pursuing purity, and that is what he thought was the most important thing. Mm -hmm. You know, this is something that's happening much later. We don't have stories Mm -hmm. showing that in that phase of his life, he was also duplicitous. Sure. And so I just think it's important, um, as people who are leaders, I think, Phil, you would agree that we change and evolve, like, in what we believe or teach people, um, Things that you said 10 years ago, you may not say the same way now. Right. And so when someone calls a leader to account, it's not that it's not relevant to point out that mm-hmm. there was that duplicity, but it is, I think, important to point out that he maybe wasn't always lying sure. about that. Sure. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, those types of things. Yeah, it's possible. And we, yeah. I don't know the 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 weird line between like not assuming the worst, but also like holding people accountable to the to the maximal degree for horrible things, mm-hmm. right? Like it's we got to figure out both of those and yeah. not not tolerating abuse in the church, while also understanding that every leader is imperfect, mm-hmm. and um, I mean the the millions of youth pastors who in the '90s were leading their youth groups through the you know the ins and outs of what we now call purity culture. Yeah, Joshua Harris. Yeah, that stuff. That. Like we look back on that with such condescension now, but nobody did then, you know? Yeah. Like they were a product of their time and earnest desire mm-hmm. to be holy. Like right. earnest desire to be protected from 
what truly is some of the most lasting damaging experiences a person can have. Mm -hmm. That's Um, true. You know, I don't know how many people I've counseled who are in their 30s, 40s, 50s, and some sexual experience they had like years and years and years ago, whether it was abuse or just, you know, their own choices, things like that. These things leave very lasting (laughs) effects. And if we're trying to figure out how to prevent that pain, Mm -hmm. uh, we're not going to be perfect at it. I think like in trying to correct one thing, we then went ahead and created a bunch of other things. Ultimately it shows we're trying to figure this out and what you do with your sexuality and what other people try to do to your sexuality is extremely important. So, you know, I would say that secular culture is also not having a great time figuring out exactly how to answer that question either. So, I mean, it's, it's important. Like, like I'm saying people who have these stories of abuse in the church, um, the stories matter so much, but if we only use them to highlight how someone was a hypocrite and we don't use them to get progressively better about how we actually counsel mm-hmm. people, mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's rough. Then we're not, we're not, we're not, we don't have a takeaway then. We're not learning yeah. any lessons. We're just like, look, that guy, he's a hypocrite. Look right. what he did. But I'm like, and I don't expect like this documentary to do that. It's not the church. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think like as Christians, we just have to be careful how much we eat the like Big Mac and fries of church critique, mm-hmm. <laughs> but aren't willing to go run the five miles yeah. to get healthier. <laughs> you know what I mean? At least five miles. At least five. Yeah. Um, and so anyway, I just, it's, it's something that, especially mm. as pastors, I think Phil and I would agree that in all of the conversations about like, I want to believe every victim I want to believe what people are telling me, mm-hmm. but I also know that unhealthy people can blame their pastor for a whole lot of things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so the reason that we have to talk about this is because in the church, it's been too easy to kind of, for the sake of simplicity and keeping the protection of the name of the institution to just shove everything into the closet. Mm-hmm. Um, and we just can't do that. But also you got to remember that pastors are holding in their pocket and their memory, a whole lot of circumstances where things were misconstrued to make it their fault that someone's mm-hmm. unhappy. <laughs> sure. And so it's yeah. not a popular thing to say, but mm-hmm. my goodness, it's true. Oh, Big time. Yeah, but nobody writes the book about <laughs> no. that part. <laughs> no. Right? Like, it's I mean, so and I'm important. not saying they should, like, but I don't know, maybe somebody should at some point, like the number of pastors it's just that I know. hold in your mind. Like the number of pastors I know that have been abused themselves by their congregation. Yes. You know, like that, that pastors it cuts are both so ways sometimes. often abused. It's not that we should discount anything anyone is saying. Just keep it in your mind that pastors are also abused. Mm-hmm. So. Which... You know, this is where we've ended up in the conversation, but probably what I would want to, I don't know, cap it off with is just simply, we have not figured out like the processes of protecting people in the church. We have a long ways to go and we have a lot of thinking to do in terms of understanding how to do that well. Mm -hmm. We just haven't done it well. And I have a ton of compassion. I think it's just possible to have you know, what everyone needs to grow in, uh, me too, Mm -hmm. is like that more than one thing can be true at one time. 
And I have this really deep compassion for these leaders who get in these situations because I understand that it doesn't happen in one moment Mm -hmm. and that you're holding so many responsibilities in one place. Mm -hmm. Um, And that if you have the privilege of power, influence, things like that, and people really honestly just kind of follow you around and for the most part, love what you are doing, it must be so stinking hard to stay straight. Mm -hmm. Like it must be so hard. Mm -hmm. I don't know what that's like because I am not one of those people. I definitely am not charming. I don't have woo on the strengths finder. (laughs) I'm not like everybody's favorite person. I'm not cool, you know, all of that. And so I can imagine (laughs) I'm all of those things, so. Yeah, I mean, real yin and yang here. Yeah. Um, But, you know, like, I just, I can imagine that would be so hard. Um, But anyway, I think, like, it it causes questions of, like, for us, we're a small church, and you're trying to think of, you can totally see how, as, as a church institution grows, how hard it is to, like, correct the ways that you protect people, because it starts out so messy and simple Mm -hmm. and then it gets more complicated as you grow quickly yeah Yeah. and so for us it's like if we were to say like what policies do we have in place to make sure that Mm -hmm. like you know people who have experienced some sort of negative uh you know engagement with a volunteer or a you know other leader or a pastor where do they go it's like we could figure that out now but also it seems silly because it's (laughs) so small it's probably not silly though but it's not silly uh, at all. Yeah. And there are things that we can do. And we've been talking about that. I don't right. know where we'll really land with it, but there are ways yeah. to make sure we do a better job. I, ha- I have some thoughts. Know. I have some thoughts yeah. about some things that we might institute at table church, just in light of all these, these revelations that are coming down. But, um, yeah, those are things that we're going to talk about as a leadership. And if we ever come out with it, we'll, we'll share it on the podcast. Yes. But um, anyway, the whole point is rather than constantly critiquing culture, we got to make culture healthier yeah and that's much harder to do Mm -hmm. and i can't wait to read the next like critique book you know critiquing how things are um and thinking to myself could someone please show me some examples that are good right (laughs) of how to avoid this yeah which you know um i think we're in a moment right now where what's needed is this critique um I think that, again, this is a, a unveiling that God is doing, almost a judgment on his church that God is doing, and it's needed, and we have to kind of drink it to the dregs, I think, in order to get the point. Um, that's what we're doing. But there will be another phase. There will be a time where that comes where we say, okay, how do we rebuild, or how do we um, proceed with what we've learned in kind of mourning for the harm that has been done, mm-hmm. but also with hope that there's a better future before us for the church. And if you have examples out there, I bet you do, of people who've done this well, I I have to believe there are all kinds of leaders who've done just an incredible job of threading this needle Mm -hmm. throughout their, you know, experience as a ministry leader. Um, Tell them thank you, because probably nobody even knows who they are. Yeah, like threading the needle, that is, of like walking with humility and integrity Mm -hmm. through an entire life of leadership. Um, Yeah. Okay, well, let's... Let's move on. And, you know, obviously what we're trying, I think to sum up that whole conversation, it's to simply say um, it's complex. In no way are we condoning like the horrible things that have happened. But we're also trying to say, um, you know, what about for like the things that aren't like 
overt and outright abuses, you know, like a youth pastor teaching purity culture to his, to his youth group that we many times, and a lot of us now look back and say that wasn't probably the best way to go about it all the time, mm-hmm. whatever we meant by purity culture. But, um, in that in those sorts of instances okay not like sexual abuse and that kind of thing but in those sorts of crimes yeah yeah in those sorts of instances like where the water's murkier you know perhaps there's room for us to learn from our mistakes and to extend grace to the people that were at the time just doing the best with what they had Mm -hmm. you know yeah like if if anybody ever to some degree brainwashed you they were also brainwashed (laughs) so we gotta just figure this out um but yeah anyway uh on that happy note should we talk about the book yes um so if you've been listening to the podcast you'll hopefully know that there is a book that we've been reading it's called how not to read the bible by dan kimball the subtitle is making sense of the anti-women anti-science pro-violence pro-slavery slavery and other crazy sounding parts of scripture we are on part five um it's called my god can beat up your god and Dan Kimball's talking about what about the what many people seem to think is crazy sounding elements of the Bible or of Christianity that suggest that we are right and you are wrong, right? Like this idea that Christianity claims all other religions are wrong. And perhaps you've heard people say, you know, um, that saying that Jesus is the only way to God is arrogant, that it's intellectual snobbery and that kind of thing. So this section is Dan Kimball trying to respond to those sorts of accusations um, that are often leveled towards Christianity and towards the Bible and stuff like that. Um, I've got some thoughts. I wrote down a lot of notes, actually. A lot of these notes don't come from the book. They're really just kind of from my head, things that the book triggered more or less in my brain. And I, I don't know, I'm just going to walk through it because look, I've, I've talked to a lot of, I've talked to a lot of skeptics, a lot of non-Christians. I've had these conversations a lot. I'll be honest, this particular objection has not come up a ton for me. Um, and that doesn't mean it's not common, but... Uh, I think in the circles we run in, it's not a primary I mean, question. I, and I, I wonder why. I mean, I, maybe it's because on, on the surface of it, most people... Not most. I think that there's a pretty obvious logical contradiction. Like it's logically understandable why somebody would think their religion is true and others aren't, you know, like that doesn't seem like a crazy stretch of logic, right? Like if you're convinced of a truth system or of a belief system, um, it's not a matter of arrogance that you think others are wrong. It's mm-hmm. a matter of, you know, logical deduction. What you've experienced <laughs> and believe you've um, learned. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I mean, like if you are really into organic food, it's not like you're just like wanting to like condemn everybody mm-hmm. who doesn't do that that could. But you're also like, ooh, this is so much. I better think for this your is body. better. Yeah, I, 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 I really do think that what you're eating is not as good as what I'm eating. You know, yeah. like that's at some point they're gonna they're there's gonna an say that. There's right? tension. Yes. Uh, but anyway, there's there's ways to kind of address that that difficulty um and actually i okay after having said that that i also want to admit that i on the other hand do understand it because of the way that come sometimes christians or well, not just christians everybody of every belief system can be downright nasty and militant about their particular belief system okay um and that's actually one of my points later the fact that we're all actually in this doesn't matter what you believe but i'll get to that in a minute the first, but the first point I want to make is this. 
I am expecting to be surprised when I get to the new creation. I'm expecting to be surprised that God's saving love and power will have conquered evil and death to a greater degree than I can imagine. And I guess that's a long, fancy way of saying I think everyone's going to be surprised who's in heaven. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, We need to be generous, open, and just humble in terms of that question. And Christians aren't always that way. We like to make it very black and white sometimes. Um, I I can tell you how to be sure. I can. That's the the strongest I can get as far as like salvation, eternal destiny goes. I can tell you how to be sure, and that is the way of Jesus. But I cannot tell you um, beyond that who does not get in or whatever mm-hmm. as though getting in was the point. It's not the point. But everybody, calm down. If yeah. it's the first time you've heard that. Yeah. It's called optimistic hope. Like right. you're just hopefully optimistic because there certainly is no biblical argument for not being that way. And mm-hmm. it does not change the drive of your life to, you know, live fully with Jesus yeah. and each other now. I mean, there, I understand the Bible verses like in Galatians talks about like adulterers and people with immorality will not inherit the kingdom of God and stuff like that. Um, yeah, but that pretty much covers all of us. You know, like mm-hmm. we, if I, if I give a list of vices right now, like we'd all be there. And so there has to be more to it than just that. Well, if you do these things and you're going to hell, right? Mm-hmm. That it can't be that easy. Otherwise we're all going to hell. And it's obviously not that easy. That's we what Christianity says. We did hell, by the way. You can go back we, and check it out if yeah. you want. Mm-hmm. Um, and so. I pers- believe it's called H-E double hockey sticks. <laughs> Don't search for hell. Search for H-E double hockey sticks. Yeah. Um, uh, so anyway, my yeah. point is just that I understand all of the condemnatory Bible verses that there are. Um, but I also understand that, I don't know, the, the measure of God's grace, the power of God's grace, the degree to which Jesus is willing to go to, to be with his creatures, um, the egregiousness of that, I think, is more breathtaking than the egregiousness of sin. Mm-hmm. And so all that to say, simply, I'm expecting to be surprised. Mm-hmm. Right? And if you look at something and look at the fruit, like for example, I don't know how many times I've heard somebody say that the the thing that like cracked the egg for them that led to them eventually, perhaps not even being certain that there is a God at all, is like that, that cracking of that theology that says like, so God sent Anne Frank to hell, like that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Um, That's a really relevant question to pursue, but when you look at the fruit of it, um, you know, are you, as you're like, I don't know, deconstructing things like that, um, there is a way to ask that question that leads you into grace and a fuller, deeper, more expansive, beautiful picture of the character of God. Or it can kind of just be like baby with bathwater. That whole thing must be wrong. But there's a way that you can go one direction or the other with that. It's it's not a bad question. It's just which direction are you going? So um, for anyone who's not thought of that question before and Phil just like <laughs> flipped your lid, um, don't worry. Uh, keep pursuing it. Yeah. Like it's, uh, yeah. The point is God his character is clearly love beyond what we can understand. Mm-hmm. Um, and as Phil said, we know how to be certain that you will dwell with the Lord forever. 
But as far as like everything else, it's probably. I'm not going to issue judgment. I'm not going to, you know. It's probably just not the place to dwell Mm -hmm. right now. I mean, yeah. And I don't want to like diminish the importance of that either. Because like you'd think that that really matters. My point is simply that, and all I'm trying to say, and I'm not trying to say any further that like God, the Bible doesn't say God, it says God is love. It doesn't say God is judgment. You know, it says God is love. And so when it comes to factoring in the character of God, I think that love has to weigh the heaviest. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as we're concerned. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what we need to remember. Now that all that said, uh, my next point is that that doesn't negate the need for what I'm going to call theological particularities. All right. Um, And so like he's got a quote by Madonna who says all paths lead to God. Um, Well, does the path of selfishness and greed and hate lead to God, Madonna? Like how would she respond to that? Because whatever answer that Madonna gives um, to that, she is now doing theology. She Mm -hmm. is now, uh, voicing a particular view about God. She has now just narrowed something down about how she understands God to be and how she understands salvation to work. Even if she, you know, ultimately says there is no God or something, it's still, you know, you're still staking a claim somewhere. And so however you answer that question, like you're doing theology and so you're saying God or reality is this way. It's not that way. Right. And so, I don't, I don't know if, if you really push people beyond just the, the surface level, like all paths lead to God, if they actually think that, you mm-hmm. know, because I mean, do, um, people who torture babies for fun, does that path lead to God? Mm-hmm. You know, like you can say yes or no. I but mean, you're... and there are some really like, uh, you know, I can like think back to perhaps some arguments from other faith. Uh, or, or Christian traditions that would be like, yes, yes, that does lead to God. Well, and so, that's a, that's a, yeah, that's a, then that's you're theology. making a case mm-hmm. about who God is and what God is like, yeah. you know? And obviously there's, and there's universalists and Christian universalists who would say that in the end, um, evil will be purged from all of us and, and we will end up at some point, even Hitler will end up at some point, uh, restored, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so that, it doesn't matter how you answer that question. You're, you're defining a theological particularity. You're mm-hmm. saying something about and God. And you're assuming about like, uh, that there is a God and what that God is like mm-hmm. and that we're arriving at that God. Right. Well, even if your answer was to do all paths lead to God, even if your answer was like, no, because there is no God, well, then, then you're, got you're taking a position God. too. And yeah. you don't think all paths lead to God. So anyway, even though I initially said I'm expecting to be surprised trying to, I don't know, somehow and probably too ambiguously um, suggests this idea of uh, optimism, salvific optimism, if you will. Um, I also don't want to like wave away the fact that theological like landing somewhere is inevitable when it comes to God or not God. Like Mm -hmm. (laughs) if you're reflective at all, at least. We don't bear the burden of proving all this out Mm -hmm. in that way, but we do have a significant amount of glory to focus on. Yeah. For ourselves. I just don't think that, um, everything's equal all the time works. And, and it's, it's nice in order to say that in terms of, you know, keeping everybody happy for a little while, but I don't think there's a lot of gas in that. These tank. things do fall apart mm-hmm. in the living. So the next, the next point, all views on ultimate truth are vulnerable to serious doubt and critique. And I mean, all views. 
And so here's, here's what I mean. Monotheistic faiths like Christianity or Judaism or Islam, uh, we all have to face the problem of evil. Like that's probably one of the biggest challenges to our faiths is the problem of evil, right? How could a, you all say your God is good and yet the Holocaust occurred? I think we did an episode about that too. Yeah, we might have. We've done a lot of episodes. Yeah. <laughs> um, so like that, I will find these and put them in the notes. That's a problem for monotheistic faiths, and I'm sure that skeptics would be able to pose others. But in my mind, that that's maybe the biggest one, that and divine hiddenness, but we won't get into it. Uh, polytheistic faiths have their own problems. Logical consistency, um, figuring out causation and contingency in the universe when you don't have an understanding of God as being. Rather, you simply understand gods as beings. That's a, another I don't know if I want to get into that, but like, well, sure. You know, classical theism says that God isn't just a being among many beings. He's not just the biggest, most powerful being in the universe. God is being itself. He is mm-hmm. the unmoved mover. He is the one from which all other, well, everything we observe in the universe is contingent and there has to therefore be a non-contingent reality. Logically, you would think that's God, you know? Um, whereas, you know, polytheistic face, I don't, I don't think they can say that about their pantheon of gods. And so in my mind, that's a logical Logical problem. Uh, materialism has its own logical problems to deal with because materialism doesn't follow from first principles. I mean, out of nothing comes nothing, right? And so how does materialism explain everything? And there's been all sorts of ways of doing it, but at the very bottom line, <laughs> David Bentley Hart, he even went so far as to say that materialism is, quote, the least logical position to hold mm-hmm. um, because of that very fact. Um, then you got like humanism. Uh, humanists... Um, well, they're basically materialists just with, uh, they try to imbue a dignity and values and stuff like that on mm-hmm. humanity. And they, they would place the, uh, um, I don't know. They kind of place their faith in universal human goodness mm-hmm. and the will mm-hmm. to triumph and the, the, the hope and progress and stuff like that. I would say that humanists have to face the problem of evil just as much as monotheists do because, Humans are pretty horrible, and if your faith is in the ability of humans to do well, then why aren't why aren't humanists having a faith crisis right now? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, um, there's so like humans do so many bad things, and and yet they still uh, like part of at some core of their belief is this idea that human progress will lead us to the you know the world we dream of, and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Like I know Stephen Pinker has a book out about how there is progress in the world. Um, but kind of fascinating, uh, picture of that, like in the real world. Um, do you remember the podcast, Harry Potter and the sacred text? I mean, it's still like going, but okay. do you remember when that was new and I no. talked about it? Um, it's been many years, um, but anyway, it's a, it's a couple of humanists originally is how it started. Um, like humanist chaplains at either Harvard or Yale. Okay. I can't remember. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Going through the the Harry Potter series, mm-hmm. like as a sacred text, like okay. let this text, you know, using like faith traditions of various kinds and the the practices of like um, uh, entering a text, mm-hmm. um, but doing that with Harry Potter, and it's mm-hmm. uh like you don't need to go back and listen to it, but like it's um it is it was like a really interesting way for me to see how humanism mm-hmm. works when we're trying to like uh 
we can make meaning out of anything. Sure. And if I learned anything in college as an English major, it was that I could make meaning out of anything. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, this is fascinating. Well, that's another another challenge I think for humanism is grounding their language of value, dignity, and rights. Mm-hmm. Where to ground that language to give it any currency. Mm-hmm. Um, but as far as the idea that like, well, we're seeing the march of progress. Uh, obviously life now is much better than life was 10,000 years ago. You know, I suppose you could argue. And I wouldn't want to debate that too much. But um, I'm not sure that that technological advancements necessarily equals um, ethical advancements. Mm -hmm. And the fact is that while we may not be engaging in chattel slavery here in America right now, um, we outsource an awful lot of stuff to the rest Mm -hmm. of the world as far as, you know, um, getting the cheap products that we like to wear and use. Um, And so it might be a little more out of sight, out of mind than, uh, than what it once was, but I'm not, I'm not completely convinced in this tremendous ethical revolution, mm-hmm. uh, that has come about simply by our human goodwill anyway. Um, so I just gave a list of, I just gave a list of different, you know, perspectives and belief systems and what I consider to be some challenges, including my own that they must face. Now, anyone in those particular views are probably like, no, you know, that's, that's there's a reason there's an explanation for that you just don't understand it well enough everybody mm-hmm. would say that but here's here's where i'm at personally and not everyone might be here but here's where i'm at i don't trust anyone who at some level rationally believes their cause is bulletproof mm-hmm. like i just don't trust you if you don't <laughs> wrestle with anything you know you're being intellectually lazy mm-hmm. or i don't know or you just don't have a heart we get it it's exhausting <laughs> I, and I've been this way my whole life, you know, I, I've always wrestled with questions of ultimate truth and things like that. And somebody who just kind of flippantly is sure about, mm. about their position. Um, I don't, I, I mean, don't trust it's why them. I have so much compassion for people who now are looking back on how they handled their relationship with purity culture and things like that in the past, because you were just desperate to know that you were safe. Mm -hmm. We all want to know that we're safe and we want to be close to God and we don't want to waste our life. And we can be so easily misled um, that that could lead you to just want to like scrap everything or you can just keep going with this being hard Mm -hmm. and trying to figure it out. Mm -hmm. And if we're going to do that as a church, we have to be graceful with one another and, um, it can be true that someone's teaching of, was a form of abuse in the past and also that that person is earnestly seeking God and may have changed completely by right. now how they yeah. think about that. It's really curious, like, um, these things really come out when you engage with culture and you see how people interact with God. And it, I, I have often appreciated that I am a pastor And therefore, as a person who is ordained, it's particularly uh, important for me in my life to always sit in that tension of it would be nice to just be like, I don't know. Mm -hmm. And like or sure, maybe that's true. Like you can get really like it would be nice to just be able to be one of those people who's like only looking at things from the outside and being able to make judgments and not have anybody hold me to them. Not have to stake a claim anywhere. Yes, know your colors of the mast. Yeah. Yeah. And so I have to stake claims and I have to grow in front of people over the years. Like I have to 
I have to live life out in the open and I have to change and grow and have everybody see that and then be held accountable for what I said in the past and what I say now and to learn from those things so that what I say in the future is hopefully clearer mm-hmm. and you know, all of that. But it would be nice to just be like, I don't know. That's good. That's cool. But I don't like you and I don't get to do that. Um, no Christian, like you're saying, no Christian should feel that that is their ultimate mm-hmm. goal. It's just to be able to be like, I don't know. I mean, like, I don't know. But, right. <laughs> uh, but like, we just cannot do that. And I think it's interesting because you encounter things in culture, like recently on Instagram, um, uh, an author that I follow posted a picture, some pictures from a children's book. Um, what's the book title? It's Sarah Bessie. Everybody knows who that is. Sarah Bessie is the author. But the author of the book, um, it's called Mother God. Mother so, God? Yeah, it's this really beautifully illustrated children's book. It's mm-hmm. like a picture book um, by Teresa Kim Pechenovsky. I don't know. Anyway, it's a gorgeous book, but here's the text, for example, and Sarah is pointing out that this book is gorgeous. I agree. This Mm -hmm. book is gorgeous, but you can like never just look at something and not be trying to think more deeply or critically about, you know, so here's why theology matters. This book is gorgeous. You could get at the library, whatever. Mm -hmm. So there's this gorgeous illustration, for example, of this pregnant mother, and it says waiting for new life to begin God is a mother in labor. Okay. That's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Um, you know, to say that God is a mother in labor. Yeah. But that's a particular kind of theology in mm-hmm. this poetic, beautiful book. Um, you know, there's another page that says, Over the waters of creation, God is the spirit who hovers. She forms the earth into a bed and the wide sky its covers. That's beautiful. Mm-hmm. But there's like all these pages that explain what God is or Mm -hmm. who God is. And it like definitely flows into that zone of pantheism. (laughs) Like God made everything and everything is God kind of thing. Um, It's a gorgeous book. Mm -hmm. It's not trying to like theologically mislead people, Mm -hmm. but it's where like in everyday life, like those little tiny things about, uh, they could have reworded so many of the phrases in this book to give the same idea sure. without the theological murkiness. Mm. You know yeah. I mean? Like the, the feminine pronouns aren't even the issue. No, that's not <laughs> it at all. That, right. I don't want everyone to be right. like, Oh, she's upset because they say God is a woman. I, I, I shouldn't say not the <laughs> issue, but that's, like the, the Bible uses feminine language for God. Like that's yeah, just fine. being careful about defining that God is mm-hmm. something like, uh, you know, just like there's ways to describe his character that embody all of that without, you know, you're saying treading these yeah, waters. there's a theological view that comes through it. Yes. We can't avoid it. It's everywhere. You know, if yeah. God is this way, then he's perhaps not that way. Right. As soon as you take a stance on something, you're making a claim and, Yes. You know, so anyway, um, my last my last point I just said was all views on ultimate truth are vulnerable to serious doubt and critique. And um, then the thing that follows from that, here's here's my last point. If all this is true, then we are left to ask, where do I land? Where do I land? Like we're all kind of in the same boat in a way. Like we're all trying to figure out these big questions. And some people are going to land here. Some people are going to land there. All, no matter where you land, there's like the people in the other boat 
is going to point at it and say, no, that part's wrong. And you're going to say, no, yours is wrong because of this. You know, we all are in that similar situation. Um, but that doesn't mean we don't, we don't have to like, it doesn't excuse the journey of trying to figure out, okay, which do I think makes the most sense? Um, because again, particularity seems inevitable. If we want to be rationally consistent and responsible, at least like we're going to have to make a a particular stance some we're going to land somewhere, you know, um, even people that try not to land somewhere, land somewhere. (laughs) Um, so that doesn't mean though, that we have dogmatic certainty. Like that doesn't mean that we are black and white about everything. We can be dogmatic about maybe some things like everybody's going to, if you're going to have a meaningful, like uh, system of belief. I think you're going to mm-hmm. have to be, have certain things that you're, that are not negotiable in your system. Uh, but it does mean that it's okay. And I think it's even inevitable to have convictions about what best makes sense of life. Okay. It, I don't know. I, if you follow a train of thought long enough, then eventually you're going to become convinced that this is the best way to explain things. And to me, that's Christianity, right? And here's why I think Christianity explains things best, at least from my point of view. I'll say this. Christianity's relentless acknowledgement of evil and darkness in us, that that lines up in, mm-hmm. my, in my mind. Um, the doctrine of uh, depravity, you know, and stuff like that, that checks, that checks out, I think. Um, Christianity's insistence in human dignity, plus a way to ground that dignity that gives it real currency, okay? It's insistence in human dignity plus a way to ground that dignity that gives it real currency. It grounds the dignity of humanity in that we are image bearers of God. And in my mind, you can't get any better than that. Mm-hmm. And so that's really kind of an existential and emotive um, draw, more than like sort of a rational one, but it's still important. Like it, Like I do believe that humans have dignity and the fact that I can anchor it in the creator um, I like, I'm, that's great. <laughs> I like that, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, let's see what else. Uh, Christianity's relentless acknowledgement of I already said that, I guess. Um, let's see Christianity's understanding of the relentless self-giving love of God, AKA grace. Um, that's, I find unparalleled anywhere else. That's unique. Um, Christianity's enduring hopefulness. Uh, I don't, I respect other you know, maybe humanistic beliefs and stuff like that, that kind of have this, they kind of want to hold on to this hope in humanity and our march towards progress and stuff like that. But again, um, it just, it feels hollow compared to the incredible, beautiful hopefulness that, that, that we have in Christianity and this idea of God bringing, reconciling all things into harmony to himself and that kind of thing. Um, yeah, like a humanist view of, of our projection toward a better society makes me so anxious like the <laughs> idea of like it being us who will do it mm-hmm. i agree that we're i don't trust it, us but i'm not like yeah. i just can't quite you know yeah i'm a little my faith <laughs> i'm a little more down on humanity as humanity than perhaps humanists are and <laughs> um and but i but i do that because i think it checks out with my experience you know like i don't we just, we talked about so many nasty things going on in the church, you mm-hmm. know, just like, and that's everywhere. It's not just Christians. Like, I don't know. I don't need to go on about that. Cause it's obvious. Um, I, the, the remarkable way of Jesus. Um, I think that the, the way that Jesus teaches, and obviously there are parallels in other religions and things like that, but even in small things, 
even when you compare them, there's even small things that I think make a tremendous difference. Like in the golden rule, you know, Confucius said it, all sorts of people said it, but they said it a little different. They said, don't do things to others that you don't want done to you. Whereas Jesus said, do things to others that you want done to you. It was Mm -hmm. not in the negative, it was in the positive. It wasn't in the passive, it was in the active. I think that matters. I think that when Jesus teaches us to love our enemies and to turn the other cheek and uh, the idea that, you know, God causes the sun and the rain to fall on the righteous and the unrighteous. In other words, God blesses even bad people. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like those sorts of things um, I find very compelling and I'm drawn to it. And of course, lots of what I've said have been more existential kind of or emotive things that I'm drawn to. Whereas, But there are there's logical reasons too. The resolution of logical problems like the contingency of being, I already talked about that. Everything we can observe in the universe is contingent. Um, which means it's, it relies on something else for its existence, mm-hmm. right? Uh, but also, there's, I, we could go on about other stuff, like the ir- irreducible nature of the conscious experience. Like, I don't, I don't think that human consciousness can be reduced to the sum of its parts. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think you can reduce things like the, the fact that I can intend something. I don't think a computer can ever have intention mm-hmm. in the sense that we understand intention, you know, yeah, that like that. I'm trying to think of an episode where we actually talked about this about computers and whether or not <laughs> they're like sentient. Right. I don't <laughs> like so. Well, we have <laughs> talked about it. I think I don't know when, but the, we talk about AI all the time now, and mm-hmm. I think that's terribly misleading language because mm-hmm. it devalues mm-hmm. what human intelligence is. It devalues what human consciousness is. There's something unique about human intelligence that mm-hmm. cannot be recreated anywhere else. Right. In mm-hmm. fact, I even heard who it was Science Mike who was talking about this. Um, and he even said, like, look, if we created like some sort of supercomputer that was actually intelligent in the sense that we are intelligent, he mm-hmm. said that we would have more in common. And I don't remember what he said, like with a nematode than we do with that thing, mm-hmm. because whatever that sort of quote intelligence is, it would be so unlike anything that we would consider mm-hmm. alive. It's its own intelligence, but it's not human intelligence. It's still just a creation mm-hmm. of a reflection of, you know, or an aiming for something that you can't make. Uh, yeah. I don't think a computer can have a telos or an intention about any action. Or a telos thought. means where are we going? Yeah. Telos means like the <laughs> maturation or the end or the purpose for which something is done yeah and every thought you know, i like, have i've got to tell us that my kids are going to put every dirty dish in the dishwasher instead of like slamming them in the <laughs> sink they're not really there yet mm-hmm. with joining me in that tell us right. but i have it and i'm gonna help them get there and that's a great example we could do anything <laughs> like the tell us of picking up a mug of coffee to drink it like that is has an intention behind it towards which i'm striving I don't understand how a computer can ever have that because that requires a, a there's there's a transcendental pull happening here from towards something. Yeah, like does the computer that, need something? Yeah, and so ah, I don't know. There's people that are very smart that know more about this that are fall on both sides of the issue, but as far as what I've seen, I'm I'm rather convinced about one side clearly. I I think that in at least in my view, um consciousness is this irreducible wonder um, that points to a a God, not just a God, but a a personal God, Mm -hmm. like one that is mind-like at least. Anyway, um, 
hopefully that was helpful. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but I think it was. I hope that it also was relevant to the point of the book. Do all paths lead to God? Um, I'm trying to be at once generous and admit how little I know, but at the same time say, look, we're all kind of in the same boat of landing somewhere, Mm -hmm. you know? To say that you have and practice a hopeful optimism about like the surprising reality of everlasting life, like what that will actually be like, what Mm -hmm. it'll look like, um, the category defining stuff, you know, that we can only look to and not have a clue like what it's like, but we can definitely be optimistic. It's going to be better, um, completely more, you know, than we could ever imagine all of that. And also that we'll probably be surprised at the mechanics of how one arrives Mm -hmm. to experience that forever. Um, to say that does not in any way need to diminish the beauty and complexity and um, also, you know, the urgency of knowing God. <laughs> like, right. like that's urgent. It's mm-hmm. an urgent thing. To say that we can be hope- hopefully optimistic will probably be surprised mm-hmm. at the people who are one with God forever um, and those who aren't. Um, also, that doesn't need to diminish how urgent it is to know God yeah, and, and what that means for your life. That's a good point because this whole discussion seems to be kind of centered around what happens after we die. And so much of the Bible is centered around what happens while we're alive. Mm-hmm. And um, That's the only thing we can really do anything about right now. Yeah, so. it's true. And I think, <laughs> uh, I, I don't want to diminish either, you know, like they both matter and they're both there. And um, But it seems as though at least our corner of Christianity has been really obsessed with what happens after you die to the neglect of the parts about what happens while you're alive. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, if you read N.T. Wright, which I do, um, he seems to think and I think makes a pretty compelling case for the fact that God's in the business of remaking this world, you know, mm-hmm. and that when I don't even really use the word heaven much, I use new creation more because I want to try to enforce the fact that that's weird. I actually don't use that word either. Like, I don't know. I think mm-hmm. I just talked about heaven without actually ever using the word heaven. I use it just in the colloquial like sense because people, life and people kind of know what you be mean. Be with God forever. But I want to. I don't want to enforce <laughs> this idea that that the the next age is a disembodied escape from this world, um, but it's a. Um, a recreation, a redemption of this world in tandem with God kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And in that hell episode, we actually talked about like, um, so much of like, a not only like, um, is God remaking the world and you can experience this new creation, a taste of it right now, but also that God gives you what you want. And if you want separation from him, or if you want judgment, or if you want to be your own God, you get a taste of what that feels like too. Like mm-hmm. you get that too. God mm-hmm. gives you the desire of your heart yeah. <laughs> in that way. So yeah. anyway. Well, all right. That's all I have to say on the matter. Next time um, we, we do the, the, last, the final section, the last which is called uh, Rated NC-17. We're talking about the, the gory and nasty stuff in the Bible. <laughs> um, <laughs> the texts of terror and stuff like that. So it's not funny. That's not why I laughed. Yeah, whatever. (laughs) It should be, um, should be interesting. 
So tune in next time. I'm not I'm not gonna make any promises about when next time will be though. But I think two weeks from now. Two weeks from now. We're doing this two weeks from now. We did this today. I'm practicing my vocal rest. Okay. If we don't get like horrible complaints about having to listen to me talk, then (laughs) we will be back. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. Tune in next time.